Starting, scaling, and exiting a business is hard. So why do some companies achieve seven, eight, and nine-figure exits, while others To answer these questions, we sit down with top entrepreneurs who have exited for more than $10 million or currently run $10 million-plus businesses and grill until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Welcome to Beyond Eight Figures. officially, however, launched this week. So... It's uh, it's been a long time coming until our official launch here, and I'm just I'm, I'm so excited to share uh, that the show's been going over really 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 well. People are digging on it, and um, and what I am just thrilled about uh, is that mm, you guys are getting a lot of value out of the show, hearing from those who have exited uh, for more than ten million dollars or currently run businesses that generate more than $10 million annually. And, uh, and of course, we are getting to the bottom of exactly how they do that. And, uh, and just so anyways, I'm just, man, I'm just, I'm so excited because we've been holding on to the show for a while, a while, a while. And now we finally Flood release it to the public open. and, uh, and the floodgates are open. So really do appreciate everyone who, uh, who has taken a moment to rate uh, and review and subscribe to the show. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance yet to do that, uh, please do. And uh, people like, well, something I, I, I don't know the guy's name. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different uh, folks out here who don't use a real name when they when they leave reviews. I wish you uh, wish you guys would if you haven't rated and reviewed and subscribed to the show. Use a real name so we can use it on here uh, on air for you. But uh, something different to uh, to help you with your business from Unleash Your Presence. What he said. Nice five star rating. Thank you for that. So many podcasts focus on everyday entrepreneurs. But reaching the eight-figure mark is so hard and unusual that I'm thrilled to see something different offered here. Thanks, Steve and the team, for offering something different. Thank you for that. Coach Michael left us a five-star review as well and said, I've been following Steve for a few years now. And when I saw he was launching this new podcast, it was a no-brainer to sign up. What I love about this podcast is that it challenges me as an entrepreneur to set higher goals for my company and helps me learn from some of the leading thinkers in the business world. I love his interview style and his insights and experience about business, which helps me to become a better entrepreneur. My goal is to build my business beyond eight figures so that I can interview him with him on the show. So there we go. So not not only are folks learning a lot from the show, but obviously we're inspiring them to get to the level where they can be a guest on the show as well. And here during our launch period, uh, we are giving away lots of fun prizes, including cash. And you can get all of those details at bit.ly, so bit.ly forward slash beyond date, and just use a capital B there. So bit.ly forward slash beyond date with a capital B. And all you have to do is rate and review and subscribe to the show. And we are giving away two, not one, but two $1,000 cash prizes randomly. We are giving away not one, but two tickets to the next new media summit, and not one, but two appearances on either reinvention radio or beyond eight figures if you qualify and all you gotta do like coach mike and there's other guys there is just rate and review and subscribe to the show and you will be entered into that contest so as i said really loving all the feedback people really digging on some of the episodes that we've already released episodes with naveen jane the billionaire episodes with brian smith the founder of the billion dollar brand ugg boots uh, Reed Tracy, uh, the president and CEO of Hay House, it does over $100 million annually. Uh, and I know people are going to absolutely be loving on this episode as well because we've got the one and only Roland Frazier on with us. What is going on, Mr. Frazier? How are you, sir? 
I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today? Oh, doing really, really, really good, man. And uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us on Beyond Eight Figures. And as you know, the criteria for being on the show is either you have to have exited for more than $10 million or uh, you must currently be running a $10 million plus business. So just so we can get it off the table here right out of the gate, how, how do you meet that criteria? Uh, both, actually. Interestingly enough, we just closed the deal yesterday at 6.30 in the morning with a company in London that bought one of our companies uh, for uh, for well over that amount. And that was a nine-month process that was uh, was kind of fun to have come to a close. And um, uh, have several others currently that we operate right now, including Digital Marketer and uh, Real Estate Worldwide and several others that are in that uh, in that number in north and so that's uh i get to i get to meet both of them it's kind of fun mm-hmm. well that's awesome man and uh it certainly explains why you're not hanging out with us in studio because if you just close that deal after nine months i hope you and your buddies and partners in that deal were out uh, were out celebrating and uh and congratulations on that thank you there there, there may or may uh may not have been some celebrating last <laughs> night I, I can't confirm or deny <laughs> yeah man so let, let me just try to understand then exactly what it is that you do, because a lot of people associate you with digital digital marketer. I mean, Ryan Dice and Perry Belcher and those folks. But are you actually, just so I'm clear, are you actually a partner in that business? Are you a, a consultant to that company? Did you just? I'm trying to understand the relationship between you oh, yeah. and the folks at Digital Marketer. So let's start with that entity. We are... Um we are equal partners in that business. So um, I, I am an owner in that business with those guys. Okay. So you, Perry, and Ryan are all a third, a third, a third owners of Digital Marketer. Correct. Interesting. And so for those who are unfamiliar with Digital Marketer, uh, you guys, uh, well, obviously with the name of Digital Marketer, you do a lot of things online in terms of doing training and certification and so on. Uh, but more recently within the last, mm, it's only been about five years now. It seems like it's been a lot longer than that, but the first traffic and conversion conference, the live event that you did for with with Ryan and uh, and with Perry there, that was only about five years ago, right? That was in 2013, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and it's just become such an, an industry standard of an event. And that event itself, if you're able to share some of the details around that, just from that live event between ticket sales and sponsors and I know you have other offerings as well. Can you give us a sense of what just that event grosses for Digital Marketer? Uh, I can't. I can't give those numbers because of some agreements that we're under right now in, in another deal. But um, but I can I can tell you it's been a, a wonderful business and we've had tremendous growth. I know when when I came in in 2013, we had only eight sponsors uh, in San Francisco, and I think we had about a thousand attendees, mm-hmm. and uh, we're now at about 200 sponsors with well over $2 million in sponsor revenue and over 6,000 attendees and growing uh, at a pretty great rate. As a matter of fact, as we go into 2019, we are uh, anticipating that we'll have either two or new or three new events that are traffic and conversion summits. So we are considering adding one in New York. I don't know if that'll happen, but, but we're, pretty certain at this point that we'll be uh, doing one in Europe and one in Asia mm-hmm. in 2019. So we've, we've got some pretty rapid and aggressive expansion plans now. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. I, and let's, let's go back to the embryonic stages of your entrepreneurial journey, because 
to become a partner in a business like Digital Marketer, to have the real estate company, I mean, like to do all of the things that you do, there were a lot of stepping stones that got you to that point. So you came out of college, you and you got your you got your JD, right? You were practicing law. That was that was straight out of school. Uh, I was, yeah, I did I did that, but my entrepreneurial journey started a long time before that. When I was, uh, you know, the the first major thing would be when I was eighteen. I got my real estate license and started doing real estate uh, deals as a salesperson, you know, a, mm-hmm. a basically a broker, but not a broker because I hadn't had enough experience yet. And then I got my insurance license uh, to start. I, I, the whole thing for me about everything in business is where's the leverage, right? So in the real estate business, it was, okay, well, I can go around and I can try to get listings onesie twosie from, you know, people I know and warm market and advertising and all that, or I can find somebody that already has uh, a whole lot of what I want. So, Mm. you know, if my customer in that case is a listing, who's got lots of listings and identified, well, developers have lots of listings. So I went to developers and started getting uh, listings for development so I could sell not just one time. I wouldn't have to go out and get customer after customer after customer. I had one customer that had lots of transactions that I'd be able to be compensated on. Mm -hmm. Then the next thing, and I still do this to this day, right? Look for the leverage. So then the next thing was, okay, so within this business that I've got of selling houses, where is the leverage to expand? How can I, what are the additional services or products that I can offer to my client, which at this point had become not the end buyer, but the developer? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that question was, well, how do you guys, how are you guys doing this business? Oh, well, we raise money through these things called uh, syndications and limited partnerships where other investors come in and they invest and then we, you know, buy the property and they get a piece of the profits. And, you know, that way that helps us fund the deals. And I said, okay, that's awesome. Um, what are some of the pieces of that puzzle? Well, you know, we have to have key man insurance. And I was like, Oh, insurance. Okay. So I'll get my insurance license and I will sell you, uh, I'll sell you the key man insurance and give you a great deal. And, that way it's good for you and good for me because I'll make money, but you won't have to pay, you know, the full, the full rake on those, uh, mm-hmm. on those contracts. And by the way, I'll go get my securities license. So I got my real estate license at 18, my insurance at 19, my securities at 20. And I was like, let me go find investors and put them in here and I'll get paid a commission on the investors I find. But really I don't want that as much as I'd like to roll that money back into the deals and have a piece of the deal so that I get some equity you know, which I learned, it took me forever to figure out what equity meant as a kid. I was like, <laughs> equity, this is a weird thing, but it's mm-hmm. basically, you know, ownership. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, that, that initial experience, you know, in, uh, you know, right out of high school and into, uh, you know, into the first couple of years of my undergrad, which was, which was in accounting, I was doing those kinds of things. And it, it really set me up for almost everything going forward, which is, Where's the leverage and where are the expansion triggers? Hmm. And so, I mean, just this is a conversation we have uh, often on our other show, Reinvention Radio. And I'm curious in terms of what your take is on this insofar as nature versus nurture, because are you I mean, are you just born this way? You just wired as an entrepreneur was your was your is your your family's just chock full of entrepreneurs. Like, where do you think? that came from. I mean, at 18, most people are just thinking about, you know, come on guys. I mean, we're thinking about, you know, chicks and hanging out and partying and, you know, doing that sort of thing. And you're like, 
where's the leverage? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, right? Where's the leverage? Like, who thinks that at 18, man? I I, uh, I certainly uh, was very focused on those other two things as well. So uh, <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't miss those those normal beats. But um, you yeah, saw the yeah, leverage. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> my um, my um, family. Uh, I I think, with the exception of my mother and father, I'm I'm the only one with them who graduated from college, and uh, with the exception of them and one other member in our entire family. Uh, I was the only one who, uh, you know, who finished high school. So I came out of a very, you know, non-entrepreneurial employee related family, but my father was an attorney. And so what I got exposed to, and, and he was, you know, he was, uh, entrepreneurial, not, not in like starting lots of businesses, but certainly, um, he was exposed to lots of entrepreneurs because he was a tax attorney. And he, he still practices to this day in a firm that I built uh, here in California. But uh, what I got exposure to was look at all these really cool ways that people make money. Mm-hmm. And and I loved the lifestyle. Like, you know, when they come into his office and uh, I, I, when I was 16 and got my driver's license, I started acting as a runner for their office. So, you know, you drive around town and get uh, delivered documents and stuff like that. But I got to meet the clients and I was like, you know, this guy – made his money selling horse biscuits and this, this lady made her money, you know, uh, doing a interior design and this person made the right. I was like, all these, like what I got from that is there's an, a, a virtually limitless ways to make money. Mm-hmm. And there's always someone who's figured out how to do it. And mm-hmm. most of the people that I saw really liked what they did. So I was like, okay, so here's some clues. You should probably like what you do. And, um, and then if you just have the awareness that there is somewhere, somehow a way that you can make money doing that, then, you know, that entrepreneurial path is pretty appealing. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was, um, it was of interest to me. And then I just dove in and read every book that I could possibly find and, you know, tried, tried my hand at little, you know, micro entrepreneurial efforts and, uh, you know, failed lots, but eventually, was able to, through that real estate, uh, stuff I was talking about, you know, make an investment of, uh, basically all the money I had saved doing other things and, you know, got about a three times return on it. And I was pretty hooked at that point. Mm-hmm. And that three X return was on a real estate deal. That was the first, the first big deal. It was. It was. So, yeah. so take it us through my, that. My first big payday. Yeah. So take us through that. You had bought a, a, a single family home, an office building, a condo. Like what, take us through that first it, that real transaction there. Yep, it was actually a piece of land, uh, and the, one of the developers that I knew um, was building houses on it. So basically, bought a piece of land uh, pre-entitlement, meaning it was zoned for something else. Then got it rezoned to be able to build uh, several houses on it. And I think it was six or eight houses that we built, um, and you know, and I, I think it was about twelve grand that I had saved up. I put in, and I got a check back for I think it was thirty-nine thousand, and was like, this is. Pretty, pretty cool, and it only took you know maybe fourteen months or so. You know, mm-hmm. twelve, fourteen months. So uh, let's be honest, man. You wouldn't do that deal today, would you? <laughs> Not for twelve grand to yes, thirty nine grand. Yes, I would grand. do that deal would today. You? I will absolutely do that deal. <laughs> you know, it's funny, right? It's like at the end of the day, you know, if you can turn twelve into thirty nine, you know, you talk to people who have made millions and are doing really, really well. Of course, you would do that deal. Well, why wouldn't you do that deal? Who wouldn't take twelve grand even today if they knew they could yeah. turn into thirty nine? Right. So yeah. I think. I think that's a that's a misconception people have is like you know if you've made some money 
you know, well, then obviously you're not interested in, in little things. And, and it, it makes sense in that, like, when you get into buying and selling companies, which is most of what I do these days, um, it takes the same amount of effort to buy a company for 500000 that it does to buy a company for $5 million, or pretty close to the same amount sure of effort. Does. And so, you know, if, if, the, if the return is the same, let's say that you can make a 3x on that 500000 company and you end up with a million five, or you can get a 3x on that 5 million company and you make 15, then your time becomes the most precious commodity. So you don't want to invest in things that, you know, that are going to take a lot of time that will stop you from doing the bigger things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yeah. man, if, I, I, I'm never going to not pick up a dollar bill on the street when I walk around and see yeah. a client there. So let, let's let's talk about IRR. I mean, in terms of what you look for insofar as returns today, what do you have a certain metric that you are looking at? In other words, I mean, we're, we're obviously being a little bit facetious on the 12 to 39, but the the reality is you probably have a certain IRR that you're looking for on your deals. What What is that metric that, uh, that you're trying to hold to? Uh, you know, my, my minimum is I'm looking for a 5X in five years. And I, I like to get a whole lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And will you take a smaller piece of a deal to get that sort of return? Or are you looking for control and ownership? Just give us an understanding of the kinds of deals that you're exploring. Absolutely. So, so my, my personal desire in terms of quality of life and, and also my skill set is not really in ops. So I'm not, you know, I have businesses that I have operated in the past, but currently I do my best to stay off the org chart. So I don't want to have a job within any company that I'm involved in. I like to be, you know, at the board level, a strategic advisor and hopefully smart or at least not too dumb money. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm looking for companies that I can come in that already have the operators and already have good growth to start with and just need some gasoline poured on it in terms of cash and, you know, and strategy. So I'm, I'm very infrequently buying a controlling interest. I'm almost always in the 20 to 25 or 30 range of what I'm acquiring in a company. Interesting. And it works out really well because, you know, everyone, I, then I don't need operators. So it doesn't limit me to only being able to get involved in the number of companies I can operate at one time, which I think would be one. Uh, it allows me to have multiple deals and, um, and I've got a diversification of my risk by having multiple deals, but also I, I, I get all these other operators and I get to make uh, connections with more and more operators for more and more deals. So then if I go and find a deal that really does need an upgrade or some operational stuff, I can find one of the people that I've made money with in another deal and bring those people in, but I still get to be mm -hmm. strategy. I kind of stay in the, in the strategy lane. Yeah. Go ahead, Richie. Yeah, I'd imagine. Hey, Roland, this is Richard. Um, I'd imagine with digital market and all you got going on there, too, and just kind of reverse engineering what I'm hearing you saying here, you you guys are basically building the people that could be the operators, right? There's people rising up through the ranks that you're training, getting their badges, you know, and all the stuff you guys are doing. Are you what what percentage of what you're doing is in the e-commerce space now? Uh, in e-commerce, not a lot, um, but or information marketing too. Of, yeah, I would say in, in terms of digitally, you know, digital marketing centric businesses, it's it's almost a hundred percent. But 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at right now, what are the best valuations? So the easiest valuations right now to me are in SaaS companies, software as a service. So digital marketer, we, we have transitioned digital marketer over the past few years into a SaaS company, into a subscription based company for a few reasons. You know, it's nice to wake up every month and have, you know, X million dollars of, of recurring revenue, but um, the buyers are currently buying those businesses at multiples of sales instead of multiples of EBITDA. So instead of, you know, we may, we have a business, let's say, let's say two different businesses and one business is doing a million dollars a year and the other business is doing the same, but one is a subscription business and one is a, a, uh, you know, a traditional business or even an information business or an e-commerce business that doesn't have any recurring revenue. And let's say that both of them are 20% margin businesses. So on that million dollars in both of those businesses, you're netting 200 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Well, assuming a multiple of let's say five, which is a decent multiple, if the non-subscription business is going to be va- based valuation wise on EBITDA, you're taking that multiple of five times 200,000 profit. That means that business is worth a million dollars to sell. Mm-hmm. But the subscription business, because it's based on sales, is going to be valued at a five times the sales. So that's a $5 million business. So it's, it's worth five times more for the exact same profitability. So when the market tells you we value these companies more and we're going to do it based on uh, on sales instead of EBITDA, then I'm going to lean towards that. So all of the businesses that, and, and I will answer your question about growing people up here, all of the businesses that, that we're really focused on investing in and that I'm focused on investing outside of that deal is, um, is that kind of subscription-based recurring revenue business, whether it's software or something else, simply because the valuations are so significantly higher. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as part of that, through digital marketer, we're obviously able to have people who are coming up, and we have a, a very high-end part, uh, it's a separate company, but um, but Digital Marketer feeds it called War Room, which has, uh, I think we've got about 170 members right now that pay $30,000 a year to be there. So that itself is a, is a recurring revenue business. But inside there, we've got about 20% agencies, 20% e-com, 20% info, 20% coaching and consulting, and kind of 20% just crazy businesses. And they go up into two of them doing over a billion dollars a year. So most of our deal flow comes from within there and most of our partners come from within there. So we're, we're not only um, growing operators through the certification programs and the badges that we give and that sort of stuff, but we're also growing our pool of potential partners and acquisition candidates through that and war room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really, really powerful. Let me just uh, try to get clarity then around this. How, how many streams of income do you have right now that go right to now, that go to Roland Fraser personally? Oh, uh, it's about twenty six. Really, unbelievable. So let and I'm trying to understand here. You had to obviously. I mean, you've had a string. It's like I don't, I don't want to call it gambling because you're not you're not a gambler when you invest in something. Obviously, you're doing so with enough knowledge to make an educated decision, so it's not gambling. But at some point, I'm sure you had to gamble on yourself in order to be able to parlay the capital that you had accumulated into uh, another opportunity. Take us back through 
I mean, you get the twelve thousand to thirty nine thousand. I mean, obviously that was everything you would save at that point. But what what do you think is the biggest gamble that you have made that has paid off for you in a way that today you wouldn't take that same risk? That I wouldn't take the same risk. It's it's a really good question because I have I have identified that there's a pattern of people who bet the farm, yeah, and then they make it and they never get out of the the mentality of betting the farm, right? Um, because I watched that happen with my father, uh, who bet the farm and bet the farm because he came from completely nothing and built up, you know, a, a pretty good wealth and then basically lost everything. Uh, I got to live through that as a kid, and so I was—I have always been hypersensitive to that particular, you know, mistake that people make. Mm-hmm. So I—I I, I can't say that. I mean, I, I can certainly say. I would I wouldn't do a deal like I did with the twelve grand again if that was if that twelve grand represented my entire net worth right now mm-hmm. because I don't have to mm-hmm. and there's no deal there's nothing that's going to change my life really you know I mean I'm, I'm not buying football teams yeah. but you know yeah. there's the I, with a deal that we closed my wife and I you know yesterday it was a, it was a it was a big deal and uh, you know we're clinking our glasses together after and she's like. Well, now we can finally afford nice things and to live in a nice place. And yeah, to right. Go on great vacations, and, <laughs> and yeah, it's like we're laughing. It's like yeah, it doesn't it, it doesn't make a difference. But um, so so the I guess the answer is I wouldn't do the deal that was investing everything I had anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that you know I I, I anticipate I'm going to have some losses, um, and I think in all the things I've done over the last you know five or 10 years, I've, I can really only think of the one that was, that was a really bad one. And it, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, it, it was painful because, uh, you know, you, yeah. it, it, it was probably more painful ego wise than it was monetary, but you know, I lost about $2 million and, and, uh, it's a lot of money. Let, that, let me ask you this son of, of the I'd 26. Like yeah, of course you would. <laughs> of the, so of the 26 different revenue streams that you have right now, do you have a sense of how much in deployed capital you have out right now? Personally. Yeah, I, I do. I, I do. The cool thing is that because of the way I invest, you know, I'm 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 generally many multiples in value the day that I come in because I'm coming in on very favorable valuations under what the market would bring, including if they've raised money before because of the resources and the strategic relationships that I can bring to the deal. So um, that's you know that's that's the key. But you know, I I I don't generally have more than about 50% of total wealth invested in, you know, in companies. Mm-hmm. So, and just so I'm clear here, because what you were, what you just said is basically the holy grail of investing. I mean, if someone can come in, it's like, hey, you know, Roland, that house next to you in Rancho Santa Fe is worth $3 million, but I'll sell it to you for two. You know, you're mm-hmm. all you're all over that all day long, right? So... Mm-hmm. How do you get people? Is it just simply, and I'm just, you know, I'm really just trying to get my arms around this for others who might be looking at going into a situation where they are able to mitigate some of their risk because they're able to get in at at super favorable terms. So when you go into a company, like let's just use Digital Marketer as an example here. What was that a deal? Were you able to get favorable, favorable terms on that deal? Yeah, the valuation that I came in at was about sixty-seven percent lower than uh, than what money had been raised at previously. Wow. Okay. And so you come in and you say, "Hey, look, 
I can bring to the table X, Y, and Z. Therefore, that will justify a, a lower, ostensibly a lower valuation for me to buy in at that level. But the upside that I bring to the table is instead of being at what that whole valuation would be, we can get to three or four X of that, you know, within a, a fairly short period of time. So what does that conversation sound like? And how can someone kind of model, if you will, what you have done to be able to get such favorable terms? Absolutely. So, so it's a, it's a philosophy and uh, it, it's like, if you go to somebody that you don't know who doesn't know you and, and say, will you sell me 30% of that $2 million house for $50,000? They're, they're going to say no. As, as a matter of fact, just had a guy, uh, <laughs> I just had a guy try to do that last night at dinner. Some friends of mine brought him and, you know, he's, he's pitching me on a deal and is like, I don't know, I don't know you. And mm -hmm. you know, and that doesn't sound like a good deal at all. Why, why would I do that? Mm -hmm. um, but, but my philosophy wouldn't, I would never do that when I was approaching somebody, including the guys at digital marketer. Uh, you know, my, I came in and had a relationship with them for about three years before um, the opportunity to invest came about. And all I did during that time was offer help and value without asking for anything. And so I get people that ask me all the time, you know, even yesterday, somebody was like, you know, well, he's, he's got uh, an event and he's like, love to see what you've done with traffic conversion. You know, can I hire you to help me, you know, plan this and, you know, mastermind and all this other stuff. And, and I was like, no, but I will help you. Mm. Um, and so, so I believe that if you just give value, you build up social capital that, that, Number one, it positions you so much better. You're not a, a hired contractor or employee of somebody. Uh, and number two, it shows them that you don't need the money. And number three, it shows that you're genuinely concerned about their business, which you absolutely authentically must be in order to develop a relationship that will have somebody do that. But when you do that, and I do that regularly, you know, so we have that mastermind I mentioned, the war room. I, I meet even today uh, when I get off this podcast, I'm meeting with a guy that flew in. Uh, who I'm going to talk to him and his wife for three hours on how to expand their business. And I don't charge anything for doing that uh, because someday he might be a potential candidate to do a deal with, or he might tell his buddy who is a potential candidate and say, you know, that guy's really smart. He helped me with my business. And he didn't ask me for anything. He just kind of gave. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that that giving serving mentality is critical to being able to do business the way that I do it. Um, so that's my very first thing I'd say is like, I don't ever try to get in the middle of a deal and say, well, if I introduce you to you, you know, can I get a, mm -hmm. you know, can I get some money? And I also look for ways to make other people money who are friends of mine. So like, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Brandon Burchard is a, is a buddy of mine and we're in this little text group with a couple of guys. And he said, you know, I'm trying to get my business through this level. I need an extra $20 million of revenue. And I was like, well, I have a, I have a total way that you can do that because i don't think you're using this particular channel are you and he's like no and so i hook him up with those people i don't ask for anything for that mm -hmm. and maybe nothing will ever come and maybe i'll never do a deal with him but i tell you what i've got a lot of really good um social capital in that and yeah. maybe i will do a deal mm -hmm. and maybe uh i won't but he's going to introduce me to somebody that will you know that will lead to something because yeah. he's doing you know he personally has a deal with, you know, Oprah and the OWN. So like, that's, that's mm -hmm. a good guy to know. So yeah. I, I hope that's not too, no, 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 I, 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 but, 
No, I totally get it, and uh, and I don't know how I was left off of that text string, but somehow I'm not in that group. I don't I don't know exactly how that happened, but I, I know you. I know Brennan. I, I must have just been or, or somehow You're left out off of that. I was out of town when they started that group. I don't know, but let, so I mean, we can't just gloss over that. So you point Brennan in the direction of twenty million extra bucks to to his business. What 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 is that opportunity that we're all missing? Uh, well, in, in that particular one, it was just a channel, a marketing channel that he hadn't taken advantage of. So, what I hasn't Brendan taken advantage of? <laughs> He's everywhere. <laughs> what marketing channel could he possibly not have taken advantage of yet? <laughs> well, he wasn't selling on ClickBank. Oh, on ClickBank. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's just so obvious, right? ClickBank, JVZoo, all those mm-hmm. you know types of players there, right? Huh. Yeah. yeah. And there well, you go. Well, cool. And what's what's cool about that, and you know, and actually, this was a this was something we did with Digital Marketer too, is you know, Click ClickBank is a huge channel, and so you want to look at all the channels that you have for potential additional distribution, you know, leveraged affiliates, that kind of stuff. Well, if you're if you know the people at ClickBank, if you you know have a significant business, then you can talk to them directly. They'll come to your place. They'll fly their team in. They'll spin up all your funnels on there. And introduce you to all their top affiliates because they know you've got a good product sure. and they know it'll be good for them. And so you can instantly add a ton of money right off the bat. Plus, they'll work with you to tweak, you know, and and make it happen. So, you know, I was able to connect him to that, and I've done that for other people. And mm-hmm. you know, that's just one of you know dozens and dozens. I think we've got a, I think it's forty nine different channels now that we look at when we're going through a business, and um, it's amazing how even when you're everywhere and Brendan is brilliant, you know, he's a brilliant marketer and oh, yeah. a super nice guy. Yep. Um, but you know, he's busy too, he right? He's busy being everywhere, but you, you, you're never everywhere. You've never taken every major channel that you can go into. Mm-hmm. So having, having the ability to spot that and, and help, you know, just, yeah. just builds incredible goodwill, which ultimately leads to what we were talking about of being able to buy businesses for less money. And yeah. I will tell you, like, so I'm in the middle of negotiating a deal right now with one of our guys that's in War Room, and uh, they're a, uh, you know, an Inc. 40 company, you know, on the Inc. list, one of the fastest growing, 8,000-some percent a year. And um, and so that deal is, you know, they're raising money at a $10 million valuation, and I'm trying to come in um, at a uh, at half that mm-hmm. for 20% of the company. So, uh, so now... The way I go after that is uh, now I'm looking for instantly I've got a bump on my money because if I can come in at a million for what would have normally cost two million, then that's pretty cool. But I don't want to come in with a million. I want a million on terms. Plus, I want to get paid something out of the company for doing the advisory work that I'm going to do with them while I'm there. So I'm looking to liquidate my costs. You know, I'm looking to get a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in comp. Mm-hmm. And put a million in instead of two million, and you know, and they come back and they're like, "Well, basically, it's like you didn't have to invest in anything." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's my that's my ideal deal." <laughs> and they're like, course, "Well, right? I don't know. That's you know, look, we're doing this great thing, and we're going to exit for this much, and we're doing this much in business right now." And I said, "Well, here's the deal. Think about this." And I just gave them one, uh, you know, one strategic channel that they had overlooked that would allow them to hit their goals five years faster than they would have otherwise. And so those people will always be willing to sell you that million dollar house for, you know, Mm -hmm. for half price, Mm -hmm. right? You just have to, you have to prove the value. And I've helped them over the last couple of years. Again, somebody I've known for two or three years, that's, I guess that's kind of, 
and, and how do you replicate this for your listeners? It's if you just identify people that you see who are moving up, you have to be careful who you invest your time with. But if you identify people that you think you like that are on their way up, uh, and then figure out how can you help them, um, and don't expect anything in return and you won't always get something back. And if you invest in those relationships for a few years, you will have some that start maturing and saying, you know, gosh, you've been, you've been super helpful to me. And, um, so we have an opportunity right now and digital marketer, the opportunity to invest in digital marketer happened because somebody that, um, one, one of their CEOs, uh, went on to do other things and they, you know, had an equity option to acquire a significant piece of the company. And so I was, since I was there at the time, they came to me and said, you know, Hey, would you like to step into that, you know, role, not as CEO, but as, mm-hmm. you know, on the equity basis. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think that's the way to do it. And it's, so much easier than cold calling or going to, sure. you know, uh, AIG meetings and stuff like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Richie, I think you had a question too. Yeah, just when it comes to equity, I've heard you had various different percentages. Is there a minimum? Do you like to come in? It sounds like 20% is what yeah. you'd like to have. Yeah, because, yeah, and I, I've done it lots of different ways. I, I watched the, you know, the sharks. So uh, we do business with Damon John and Kevin Harrington, some of the sharks, um, and they're, you know, they do lots of like little, lots of little. They'll do, you know, 5% here and 10% there. And the problem for me is given the time that I've got, it needs to be significant. So I'm, I'm looking for an exit that is never under 10 million, right? It's never under 10 million. So if I have 20% of 10 million, I get 2 million bucks. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to put three years into something if I'm not going to at least get a couple million dollars for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Take take us through. I just want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on this right now. Is there an actual Roland Fraser organization? Do you have employees? Is there any? I just want to make sure I understand exactly how your operation is structured right now to handle all of these various things that you're involved with. Sure. Yeah. There. So there isn't. I have. Um, I have a group of people who I've accumulated over the years that I've got relationships with that I will bring into a company. So I'll bring in the financial people if they need that, the marketing people if they need that, the, you know, um, the ops people if they need that. And, um, and I don't have those people like as employees of my company, they're just people who end up getting hired into those other companies, either as employees or contractors. Uh, and in my company, you know, I've, I've got, uh, I've got me and my family and, um, and that's kind of it, except for, you know, I, obviously I have a CFO mm-hmm. for my business, but that's, that's pretty much it. So, and maybe I missed this, but outside of doing some of the brokerage stuff and whatnot, looking for the leverage, have you ever actually owned a business? You mean, have I owned 100% of a business? And Yeah. In other words, started uh, a business, scaled, uh, exited from that business. I know you had your, you, so you had a law firm at some point, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I built law firm. I built, uh, I built several companies in the direct response business. Yeah. So, and let me just make sure I'm clear on this. Those early days of, uh, of owning and operating, how big did you, what was the largest entity that you actually owned 100% of and, and built from scratch? Uh, about $337 million. Which business was that? It was a machine manufacturing company. So you, you built a machine manufacturing company from scratch to $337 million. Not from scratch. It was acquired. So I, I don't, see, I don't do startups. I don't like, like, like from, from idea, the, the, the largest one that's gone like just from idea 
to I did every single thing in the business. Yeah. Um, uh, probably the largest one of those I'm trying to think through would be about about 20 million. And that was in the infomercial business. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you and I are about the same age and it's like, I remember everything. Like, I don't have to think about, <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to sit back here and then think like, what did I do? Like, that's just how many pots you have your hands in, which, and it's a really interesting model because as you said today, you, you wouldn't be involved in a startup. You would not start a business from scratch, right? No, it's too much. It's too much effort and too high a failure rate. So I, I always, 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 um, think it's easier to buy than it is to, to build, you know, to, to start. And so when, when we're looking at expanding businesses, um, it's really funny. People are like, well, okay, if you want to, if you want to five times your business, what's the quickest way you can do that? And people are like, oh, well, I come up with these offers and this and this and this and like, or you could just buy Mm -hmm. somebody that already has all that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you can buy businesses. This was the (laughs) most, this was a huge, two huge points in my life entrepreneurially were the day that I bought my first house for no money, no liability, somebody literally just signed the deed to the house over for me. I'm sitting in front of them. I'm, I'm already an attorney. I can't believe that somebody will just sign the deed to their house to me. And then I put up signs next week and auction it and sell it and make money. And I never had to put a nickel into it. I was like, holy crap, that's unbelievable but people will do that. And that's a huge mental thing to get past. Then they will also do that with companies. As a matter of fact, I find it easier to get companies for no money down or very little money down than I do to buy real estate for little or no money down. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that people think that like to buy companies, you have to have tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, but you don't. And we do it a couple times a year um, so you realize everyone you realize, everyone right now is scratching their heads, <laughs> going, yeah, right? number one, how did you buy the house with no money down? Number two, how do you buy companies if you don't have the money? Yeah, it, it, well, uh, I'll give you both. So, so for the house, it, it was just sending out letters saying, I'm interested in buying your house. You sign a contract to buy the house, um, and all you're going to do is basically take over. You're, you're buying the house subject to and only committed to to buy it, to, to pay for it in the event that it sells within a certain period of time. So you sit down and they literally sign a deed and transfer it over to you. I know it's hard to believe until you actually experience it, but it is crazy magical to realize that people want to do that. And so like this guy in particular, it was a house in El Cajon, California. Mm-hmm. And he was, he had gotten a job as a police officer. He had just completed the police academy and graduated and had a job in Arizona and had to move uh, quickly. And I, I found, I got the lead by sending out direct mail, which is, which still works to this day mm-hmm. to make a ton of money, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sitting there and, and I'm telling myself, there's no way this guy's going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I go through my little spiel and I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Um, I'll buy your house, um, but I'm not going to pay anything for it now. Uh, you go ahead and move. I'm going to put it up for auction. I'm going to sell property. it. I'll pay off. <laughs> I'll pay off your loan at the time, and then you know I'll keep anything on extra. But you'll be out of the house and out of the mortgage, so you can go and buy your house in Arizona. And he was like, "That sounds great." And he signed the deed, and I had a mobile notary notarize it. And I was like, walked out the door, and I'm like, 
but he still owes hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. and I don't. And now I control the property. And then I, you know, I put up little auction signs around the neighborhood and held an auction and, uh, you know, and I, I just like 30 or 35 grand. I think I made <laughs> on this deal. It was like, Holy yeah. crap. That's amazing. Yeah. And the same thing with companies. It's like, so, you know, we, we go into companies and this is, uh, this is, not atypical at all. We'll go into companies and they're generating, you know, $30,000 a month or a hundred thousand dollars a month or whatever. And for whatever reason, either their burn rates too high or their burnout, or there's another opportunity that they want, or, um, they're just tired of it. There's, you know, there's something else that they, they want to put their time and effort into. And you, you go in and you can negotiate a deal to acquire the company for, you know, let's say it's, three million dollars so three million dollars and um you can come in with no money and say i'll tell you i'll tell you what i've got i'm going to come in i'm going to do this is my plan and at the end of the first month i'll give you a hundred thousand dollars right but i know going in because of other assets that that i've got or other lists that i've got that i can just simply plug my people into this new product and I'll, and I'll make more than enough to pay for it from the first month. And then mm-hmm. the company pays for itself with the company's revenue. Mm. And that just happens over and over and over. And again, just like that real estate thing, you can't, you can't really appreciate it because sure. it's you crazy. It. You yeah. know? And, yeah. it, and it's crazy. And you're like, there's no logic for that. But what you learn from, you know, neuro-linguistic programming taught us, right, that, that everything is logical in the mind of the person who is thinking it mm-hmm. everything is logical in their mind it doesn't have to be logical in the real world or in your mind but for them you know that's that's what matters and so the very first question i ask anybody who's selling a business is what are you going to do with the money mm-hmm. and frequently frequently the answer is i don't know yeah. or it's well i have this thing that i want to do or that i need to pay and it's so much less than what they're asking for the company and now I know that if I can solve that problem for them, then I can buy the company by solving that problem and no additional money out of pocket. Yeah. So my first question is always that. Now, I'm not saying most companies will sell that way. I'm just saying there are a few a year that we acquire that way, and, um, and you absolutely positively can do it. So when, you know, when I'm going into new companies or like the guy that I'm meeting with here and, uh, after our, our podcast, uh, and we talk about acquiring new companies, it, it's, it's, let's make a list of all the things that we would like to buy. And they're like, well, how much, how much are we talking to pay? And, and my answer is usually it's, you can buy a company between 20 and 50 for little or no money down. When you get up much above that, you're competing with investment banks that have way too much, you know, more dollars and cents. 20 and so, 50 um, million. Correct. In terms of gross revenue, twenty and fifty million. Correct. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, and, and look, this is this is part of why we, we do this show here is to open our eyes, our collective eyes here to new ways of thinking, and it's yep. just and it's super interesting. I mean, we've had mm, amazing guests on the show, but to the best of my knowledge, from at least from what I can call recall here in the uh, limited number of episodes that we've done there, but we've done enough to, to know that I believe you were the first one that we've had on who really at this point has no interest in starting a, a business, has 
been able to be, you know, become extremely successful simply by coming into existing businesses and either acquiring them all together or taking a piece of that business. And so it's just a whole different way of thinking about business, which is a, when we think about this whole entrepreneurial path, so many of us want to start at ground zero. And what I, what I love about this conversation is that it just goes to show you once again that there's no right, there's no wrong way to do this. But at the end of the day, creative thinking can be a heck of a lot more powerful than a big bank account. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Positive. Yeah. Really, really powerful stuff there. So what is the exit strategy around, uh, is it is digital marketer mm, uh, next in terms of uh, exit? Which, which of the 26, as you look at them now, I mean, where, where do you think the next big exit opportunity is for you? Well, I, I, I'm not allowed to say um, on one that we're in the middle of right now, but the digital marketer, when I came, I, you know, when I go into a company, I identify what's the structure of the company and what's the best way that you can structure it to maximize exit potential, which is typically to divide profit centers into separate companies so that you have the ability to exit a profit center without losing the infrastructure mm. and um and this is also important uh and I'm, I'm glad you asked that question what i see so where i live most of the people are retired and so they're always surprised they're like oh you still work you know and it's like isn't that cute and they've cashed out <laughs> of their companies and they're all bored to death they've yeah. all played golf for a couple of years and traveled for a couple of years and now they're like just totally fascinated with what's going on with anybody who's actually working or doing something because mm-hmm. they're bored, right? Mm-hmm. Which also, by the way, makes them wonderful ev- investors. But um, right. the, the, the challenge that I see is that, that I believe I'll, I will avoid because of being conscious of it, and, and hopefully this will help somebody who's listening, is that, like, and I'll give Digital Marketer as an example. So when I came into Digital Marketer, Digital Marketer was all basically, it was held by a holding company, but it was effectively one company. Mm-hmm. And we ended up splitting it into profit centers. So there's Digital Marketer, there's Traffic and Conversion Summit, there's True Conversion, which is a SaaS we've got, there's Craxio, which is a learning management system we've got, there's um, uh, the uh, websites that we've got that sell stuff that are mm-hmm. in categories of survival, beauty, health, fitness, etc. And so all those got parsed out into separate companies. Mm-hmm. And so that means that each of those now is a potential exit. Mm-hmm. So the company that we just exited was one of those companies that we parsed out and found a buyer for who buys that specific kind of company. And um, so I think positioning yourself for multiple exits so that you can sell something to a niche buyer who only buys that kind of thing is wonderful because you can always roll them up and bundle them together, but you, it's really hard to split them out after the fact. Yeah. So that's the, the first thing. And then the second thing that goes with my board guys that, that live around me uh, conversation is what it also does is we have shared services models. So all of the accounting, for example, or sponsorship sales for the event or uh, logistics for all the different things that we do at events around all the companies, those are separate companies as well. And they're support companies. We have a content company uh, that does nothing but generate content for all of our different websites. Well, those, those become key infrastructure points that allow you to sell a company 
and not lose your infrastructure. So yeah. I don't need, yeah. you know, 60 people working for Roland Fraser because I've got all those people across my support companies in the shared services model. So we spin out a company and close, it's gone, but I didn't lose everything. So I'm not starting from scratch again because I still have all the companies that provide all the services and generate yeah. all the, you know, support. That's a, you know, I, I never really thought about it that much until recently talking to some of those retired people. I was like, you know, they can't, they can't start again mm-hmm. without actually going from scratch. Yeah. But I don't have to because I've got my teams separated out and I get to take them with me. Yeah, absolutely brilliant, man. Look, we could do Very this cool. all day. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're in a mastermind together where sometimes I actually have the chance to do this with you all day. So Really appreciate, <laughs> yeah, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Beyond Eight Figures. Uh, best place for folks to go. I know you've got a really big Facebook following right now, uh, but best place for them to go to get more information about you? Probably uh, RolandFraser.com. Yeah, man. R O L A N D F R A S I E R dot com. Roland, really appreciate you being on, man. You are an inspiration to all of us, and uh, again, taking the time to be with us here on Beyond Eight Figures is super, super appreciated. So, thank you for that. All right, wow, wow. I mean, yeah. just wow, right? So, so what very interesting. Lately? I know. What have you done? You are a <laughs> slacker. <laughs> I love the buying of the companies. You know, it's it's like farming. It, the the getting the seed to sprout, and that's yeah. the most fragile time. Yeah. I mean, right? it feels to me like Gordon Gecko. You know, it's yeah. like you, you see that opportunity, and we're, we're just so, a lot of us, I shouldn't say we, a lot of us are very narrow-minded when it comes to how to start and scale and exit from a business. But that's a perfect example. I mean, I'm just thinking in my own mind, like, you know, we got the New Media Summit, right? Like, that could be a standalone piece. There are other things that we do that could be standalone pieces, right? So when... Roland goes in and looks at these businesses. He's thinking it's not just this business as a whole, but there are pieces here that I could, you know, fraction out. And what I, look, we could talk about this all day long. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, we're out of time here on Beyond Eight Figures. And for those of you who have already taken the time to rate and review and subscribe to the show, big, big, big thank yous on that. Be sure to check out all of the episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can go to beyondeightfigures.com and get access to all of the episodes we've done there as well. For Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, I'm Steve Olsher, and we'll talk to you guys next time here on Beyond 8 Figures. Take care. You've been listening to Beyond 8 Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyond8figures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.